Amen and good morning. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome everybody who is here in the sanctuary with us and those who are watching on the live stream. My name is Shannon Biddle, and I'm a member here at St. Paul's, and we're so excited to have everybody here on a sunny morning. Um, still a little bit chilly, but sunny. So um, we're glad that you're able to, watch, to join us today. If you are watching on Facebook, if you'll like us or put a comment, um, we'd really appreciate it. That way it will be helpful to know who you are and who's watching for us. And thank you, everybody in the uh, sanctuary, for being good neighbors and wearing your mask so we can continue to gather in person. Um, we are very happy to have our new uh, Reverend Emily Robnett preaching this morning, and so we are excited to hear her um, share the word with us and get to know her better. We do have one announcement. A, um, after a brief hiatus, the choir is coming back, and we are super excited for that. So choir, you guys will resume practice on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And I believe those are all the announcements. So Reverend Kathy is going to come to our prayer. What an absolute blessing this morning. As I was standing here in the sanctuary earlier, I heard your laughter. I heard your greetings. Those of you that are home, we have children in our sanctuary today. And I really do feel like God is just moving in and through and among us. And it just feels so good. So thank you, those of you that are here today. And for those of you that are home, we are so glad you are joining us through the gift of technology. We do feel your presence. Uh, and Emily, we're glad you're here this morning. We look forward to what God has put on your heart for us. So will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks for this day. God, we give you thanks that you have called us to this place, whether to this sanctuary or to this worship uh, from a distance. But it was you that called us and brought us here. So God, we know we don't have to ask you to come to us. For wherever we are, you are there just waiting for us to turn to you. So instead, God, we ask that you help instill in us a desire for this hour to be totally focused on you, to give you our thoughts and our prayers and to give you our openness. God, remove the distractions so that during this time together, we may experience the risen Christ and leave today transformed. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, race, income, nationality, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. You are invited now to stand and greet one another with signs of God's peace. Peace be with you. And also with you. Well, good morning, church. I am Reverend Emily Robnett. We met last week, but I have the honor and privilege of preaching today. And it is a delight to be with all of you, whether you're here in a sanctuary or if you're gathered with us from afar. Uh, it is always a blessing to be gathered to worship our most holy God. Now, our gospel reading today is going to be familiar to you because Reverend Kathy Brown and Reverend Jeff James both preached on the, this passage very recently, um, but as you will discover, I am a bit of a rule breaker, so we're going to just read it again. So if you will stand with me, I'm going to challenge you to hear this gospel with new ears. 
from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Entering the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his habit, Jesus stood up to do the reading. When the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, he unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. The Spirit of our God is upon me, because the Most High has anointed me to bring good news to those who are poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to those held captive, recovery of sight to those who are blind, and release to those in prison, to proclaim the year of our God's favor. Rolling up the scroll, Jesus gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he said to them, Today in your hearing, this scripture passage is fulfilled. All who were present spoke favorably of him. They marveled at the eloquence of the words on Jesus' lips. They said, surely this isn't Mary and Joseph's son. Jesus said to them, undoubtedly you'll quote me, the proverb, physician, heal yourself, and say, do here in your own country the things we heard you did in Capernaum. But the truth is, prophets never gain acceptance in their hometowns. The truth is, there were many women who were widowed in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens remained closed for three and a half years and a great famine spread over the land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but to a woman who had been widowed in Zarephath, near Sidon. Recall, too, that many had leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one was cured except Naaman the Syrian. At these words, the whole audience in the synagogue was filled with indignation. They rose up and dragged Jesus out of town, leading him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built with the intention of hurling him over the edge. But he moved straight through the crowd and walked away. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, every time I read this passage, I think, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> because the crowd in Jesus' hometown first marvel at his eloquence. They speak favorably of him. Here is this small-town guy, most of whom they know as Mary and Joseph's son, who has come to proclaim a simple yet significant message that there is good news for the poor, release for the captives, sight for the blind, and freedom from oppression. And this is indeed good news. This is the gospel. But the more Jesus speaks, and I think every preacher should take note, the angrier the crowd becomes. So angry, in fact, that Jesus nearly loses his life. So what is it that Jesus says that provokes them to such violence? What is it that makes his hometown crowd, these people who should have embraced and celebrated him, what makes them try to throw him off a cliff? Honestly, it's a message that would get any preacher run out of town. Jesus' ministry is not just for a special few. It is for all. He essentially claims that he has not come to serve the special interests of those in his hometown, his ministry is much wider in scope. His ministry is not just for the people that we think are worthy. His ministry is for everyone. 
It is the kind of uncomfortable message that afflicts the comfortable. And these people act and react how the comfortable often do. And every time I read this passage, I just have to wonder at the reversal, right? Because the people of Nazareth seem perfectly willing to accept Jesus' calling initially. Jesus unrolls a scroll, he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and he does something bold. He says, with all eyes fixed upon him, today in your hearing this scripture passage is fulfilled. In a single sentence, Jesus points to himself as the fulfillment of the prophecy and as the one able to offer salvation to all who hear him. He tells the crowd exactly who he is and exactly what he's going to do. And they are delighted at first. (laughs) They react to this news the way one should react when God is doing something amazing. They react with awe and wonder the way that the shepherds did in the fields that night. But Jesus continues speaking, challenging his hometown's expectations. First, He says, there's not going to be any proof of this calling. I'm not going to perform any miracles to win your approval. And then he recalls the widow at Zarephath and the leper Naaman, the Syrian, from the time of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And Jesus is so sneaky, y'all. Their stories are an interesting, pointed choice on Jesus' part. Because these are people who are decidedly not in the hometown crowd. They are not in the in crowd. They are the world's unworthy. And yet, Jesus says, it is this widow to whom Elijah is sent. And there were many widows at the time. And it is to this leper, Elisha, cured. And there were many lepers at the time. As Reverend Jerusha Matson Neal reflects, what Jesus tells his audience is that, is that they, who had every reason to believe that they were in, he tells them that they're out. Just as the many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah and the many lepers in the time of Elisha were out. And this is what enrages the crowd. You don't tell privileged people that they're not in. The moment Jesus' calling begins to take a shape that the crowd didn't expect, he is rejected and run out of town. These people, his people, who watched him grow up and were likely part of his upbringing, these people will not accept his calling unless it looks the way they think it should, unless it includes and excludes those whom they think it should. Jesus tells his hometown exactly who he is and exactly who he's called to be in this world, and they ultimately reject him. And in this, Jesus tells us a hard truth. Ooh, it's hard. He tells us your gifts may not be accepted, they may not be welcome, and they may not be lauded by those who should be in your corner. 
especially if you happen to come in an unexpected package, and especially if you happen to be called to something the world doesn't find acceptable. There is such a human element to this passage. It's a very deep and universal experience, and I feel that I know intimately what Jesus must have felt in this moment. Perhaps as you reflected this week on this passage, you recalled a time in which you were an unwelcome prophet in your hometown. Maybe you shared who you are and your calling only to face rejection. I know that I have stood in Jesus' shoes time and time again. I will tell you that I received my call as an 18-year-old high school senior, which was absurd. I was barely a Christian. I don't know that I would even call myself a Christian at the time because I came to church because there was a very cute boy there. But the joke obviously is on me. <laughs> but I, would, I, I received this calling and I felt completely unqualified, you know. I mean, I didn't know a lot about what it took to become a minister, but, um, well, I'd never read the Bible for one. I'd read parts of it uh, when I wasn't writing notes back and forth in the balcony. And I didn't come from a Christian family, had not been raised as a Methodist or a Baptist or any of those things. And I was just a poor girl from Ada, Oklahoma, hardly worthy to serve God. But as the year progressed, my senior year progressed, you know, people always ask you, like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up when you're 18? Like, you should know. The year began to progress, and I felt what I now understand as the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so by the end of that year, I, I became convinced that this was the path that I was supposed to walk down. And so I decided to share this calling with a close friend, someone I saw as a devout Christian and as the words of this calling just nervously spilled out of my mouth, I felt so vulnerable. And my friend smiled, and he opened his well-worn Bible that he always carried with him. And he turned to this passage and read, Women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. He read several other ones, and by the end of our conversation, I felt beaten black and blue. And as he closed his Bible, he smiled in this superior way that I will never be able to wipe from my memory. And he said, there, you see, women aren't even allowed to speak in the church. Do you really want to go to hell? All of the reasons I thought that I couldn't be called to be a pastor, I had never considered that I'd come in the wrong package. It was the first time that being a woman was a problem for my calling, and it wasn't the last. 
But when I read this passage, I am always reminded of that moment in my life, of the complete and utter devastation that I felt, because I expected this guy to get it. I expected him to support and love me, not tear me to pieces, not hurl me from a cliff. But as I quickly learned after that day, like Jesus illustrates to us so clearly, is that sometimes the people who should support us, who should love us as we are, don't. For whatever reason they find us unworthy, for whatever reason they think we can't because we don't meet their expectations or society's conventions. You see, sometimes where we are planted isn't a place we can grow because it's not a place where who we are and who we are called to be will be heard or accepted, and that hurts so deeply. But then I think about Jesus sitting there in his hometown, surrounded by his friends and his family and his neighbors, and he bravely tells them with confidence who he is and who God has called him to be. And he knows as the words tumble from his mouth that these people will not accept him. And this is how Jesus teaches us that even if people, even if the people we think should get it don't, they don't need to. If even Jesus wasn't accepted, then maybe those people don't know what they're talking about. Because as Jesus shows us, it is always, always right and good to live our truth, to claim with pride who God has made us to be, and to confidently serve God, no matter what people think or whether they approve. The people we shut out of the church almost always become the people who are leading it, because that's how the Spirit works, folks. It isn't the elite that God goes to. It's the widow, the leper, the outsider, the woman. So obviously, my friend did not have the uh, final word. God did. Because God always does. And I'm here to tell you here, a woman in the pulpit, and I want you to really hear this. It doesn't matter if people approve of God's messenger or her packaging. God is going to go right on doing God's good work because that is what God does. And that is what God will always do. You are worthy. You are called. Who you are is right and good. How you're packaged is right and good because God has the final say and nobody else. Perhaps we may be unwelcome prophets, but we are prophets nonetheless. So my friends, let us move straight through these crowds and walk away and begin doing God's good work. In the name of the one who calls us, amen. Emily, thank you for that important word, and as you were saying that, it reminded me why the work of this church as a <clears throat> open and affirming and reconciling church is so important. I think about all the women that came before us to, a, to make those doors open, and church, we still have a lot of work to do, so let us take that challenge to be the unwelcome prophet. Well, my friends, you heard it here. You are worthy and you are called. 
So go forth from this place and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go now in God's peace. Amen. Amen.